0: If you love what we do, then please consider supporting Cryptfail on Patreon. Your support helps us grow and to create more content, more often. And now, on with the show. The Old
1: Republic, a complex era of politics and prosperity. The Senate governs a vast array of worlds, and the Jedi are the guardians of peace and justice across the galaxy. Yet, more than a hundred wars have raged, and the effects of those have been long-lasting.
2: I took my degree of doctor of medicine at First Republic Medical Academy of Coruscant and proceeded to the Institute of Military Medicine to go through the course prescribed for surgeons in the army. Having completed my studies there, I was duly attached to the 5th Coruscant Fusiliers as assistant surgeon. I saw several campaigns before returning to my unit after leave. The regiment was stationed on Garania at the time, and before I could join it, the Second Guaranian War broke out. On landing, I learned that my corps had advanced through the passes and was already deep in the enemy's country. I followed, however, with many other officers who were in the same situation as myself, and succeeded in reaching them safely. I at once entered upon my new duties. The campaign brought honours and promotion to many, but for me it had nothing but misfortune and witnessing the disaster done upon others. I earned the title Sawbones there. I was given temporarily to another unit which was seeing a great deal of combat and was in dire need of a surgeon. It was in one of the larger battles that I was struck in the shoulder by an enemy bolt. The beam broke bones in my shoulder and left a nasty burn. Worn with pain and weakened from the prolonged hardships which I had undergone, I was removed and, with a great train of wounded from the front, returned behind the lines to the base hospital. While there, I was bedridden by an infection of the wound, as the burns were difficult to heal. Eventually, I was able to beat it, but it left me weak. The medical board felt I needed rest if I was to continue my career in the army. They put me on the first available troop ship, and shipped me off to Coruscant on a prolonged leave of absence. I had neither friend or kin on Coruscant, and was free. Or as free as an army subsidy would permit a being to be. I could have gone anywhere, and a planet like Naboo might have done my health better. But I naturally gravitated to Coruscant that cesspool into which all the loungers and idlers of the Empire are irresistibly drained. There, I stayed for some time at a private hotel, leading a comfortless and meaningless existence, spending such money as I had, and considerably more freely than I ought. So alarming did the state of my finances become, that I soon realized I must either leave the metropolis and move to one of the lower districts, or leave the hotel and look for less expensive quarters. I decided on the latter. Lost in my musings, I almost didn't catch my name being spoken.
3: Watson? Is that really you?
2: I turned and looked at the man standing in front of me. It took me several long moments before I recognized young Stamford. He had not aged a day looking at him, whereas I now felt old beyond my years. The sight of a friendly face in this great swell of unfamiliar bodies was a pleasant thing indeed for the lonely. I must confess to never being particularly close to him when we were in medical school, but that did not matter now, and I was delighted to see him. Stamford! How wonderful to see you! Please, join me for lunch.
3: Watson, whatever have you been doing with yourself? I hope you don't take offense, but you look terrible. Brandon, the VK on Tatooine.
2: I gave him the short version of my misadventures, and had hardly concluded it as we sat down for lunch. For his part, his concern did feel genuine.
3: Hmm, you poor devil. Oh what are you up to now?
2: Looking for lodgings. Trying to solve the problem as to whether it is possible to get comfortable rooms at a reasonable price.
3: Hmm. Now that is a very strange thing. You are the second person today that has used that expression to me.
2: Who was the first?
3: Oh, a fellow who was working at the chemical laboratory up at the hospital. He was only saying this morning that he could not find someone to go houses with him in some nice rooms which he had found, but were too much for his purse.
2: What luck. If he really wants someone to share the rooms, and the expense, then I may be the very person for him. I should prefer the company better than being alone. Stamford looked at me as if he was struggling with some inner conflict.
3: You don't know this Sherlock Holmes yet. Perhaps you would not care for him as a constant companion?
2: Why? What is there against him? Stamford seemed troubled. Almost as if he had said both too much and not enough.
3: I didn't say there was anything against him. He is a little strange in his ideas. You could say that he is an enthusiast in some branches of science. As far as I know, he's a decent enough fellow.
2: A medical student, then?
3: No. that, I am sure. So... I admit that I have no idea he intends to be studying or researching. I do believe that he is well-versed on the anatomy of multiple species, and he is most definitely a first-class chemist, but as far as I know, he has never taken any of his medical classes to fruition. His studies, though, are very eccentric. Um, He has amassed a lot of -of out-of-the-way knowledge, which has astonished his professors.
2: Did you ever ask him what career he was trying to achieve?
3: No. Um, he is not a man that is easy to draw out, though he can be rather communicative enough when the idea seizes him.
2: I would like to meet this gentleman. If I am to lodge with anyone, I should prefer someone with studious and quiet habits. How could I meet this friend of yours?
3: He is sure to be at the laboratory. He either avoids the place for weeks or he works there from morning till night. If you would like, we can go there together after lunch.
2: I answered to the positive, and our conversation drifted off to other lines of thought. As we made our way to the hospital after leaving the restaurant, Stamford gave me a few more particulars about Mr. Holmes.
3: Now, you mustn't blame me if you don't get on with him. I know nothing more than that what I've learned from meeting him on occasion.
2: If we don't get on, then it will be easy enough to part company. It seems to me that you have some reason for me not to enter this arrangement. If so, then speak up.
3: Well, Holmes is a little too scientific for my taste. It approaches the cold-blooded. Some days he is stoic as a droid, the next as passionate as a Twi'lek dancer. I can imagine him giving a small dose of new poison to someone just to see how it works, but in fairness to the man, I think he would take it himself just as readily. His thirst for knowledge can go to the excess, but I fear I've said too much, and I want you to form your own opinion of him.
2: Our speeder turned down a narrow lane on the side of the hospital. There we stopped and entered a small side door which opened into a wing of the Great Hospital. It was familiar ground to me and I needed no guiding as we ascended the bleak staircase and made our way down the long corridor with its whitewashed walls and smell that is unique to hospitals the galaxy over. Near the farther end a low arched passage branched away and into the research laboratory. This was a lofty chamber, lined and littered with countless bottles, chemicals, low tables, and computers which seemed to happily beep and chirp through their computations. There was only one individual in the room. He was standing, but bending over a computer, reading its findings. Ha!
0: I have done it! Stamford? Come here, man, come here! I have found a reagent which can detect rhodian blood and no other. I am not sure that it has much practical use, but is fascinating all the same. Watson, Mr. Sherlock
2: Holmes. He stopped everything he was doing and walked over to me briskly. I offered my hand. He took it without hesitation and shook it warmly like a friend you have not seen for some time.
0: How do you do? Was it Gerania or Jakku?
2: I was astonished, and could not help a glance at Stamford who was smiling like a hut Garania. How did you know that? Never mind
0: that. Criminal cases are continually hinging upon one key point. A being is suspected of a crime, months perhaps after it's been committed. Their clothes are examined, and that stain is it mud, rust, or blood? Their life may hinge on the answer, and now I can cross off Rhodian blood from the list.
2: You are to be c- congratulated. You might consider writing a medical paper on those lines.
0: Very interesting reading, it would be, too.
2: He wrapped a small medical plaster around a cut on his hand.
0: I have to be careful. I tend to dabble with poisons a good deal. What brings you here today, Stanford?
3: We came here on business. My friend here wants to talk about lodgings? Maybe going halvesies with you? I thought I'd better bring you together.
0: I have my eye on a place on Baker Street, which would suit us well. You don't mind the smell of strong tobacco, I hope?
2: Not at all. The troops would smoke what they could get. Not always real tobacco. That's
0: good enough. I generally have chemicals about, and occasionally do experiments. Would that annoy you? By no means. Let me see, what are my other shortcomings? I get down at times and won't speak for days. You must not think me rude, just let me alone and I'll come good. Now, what have you to confess?
2: I object to confrontation as my nerves are shaken, and I get up at all sorts of odd hours. I can be extremely lazy. I have another set of vices when I am well, but those are the principal ones at present.
0: Do you include string playing in your category of rows?
2: Not if played well.
0: Good. Good. I think we may consider things settled, that is, if the rooms are agreeable to you.
2: When shall we see them?
0: Call for me here at noon tomorrow, and we will go together and settle everything.
2: Alright. Noon tomorrow. We left him then to continue his work as we returned to the speeder. I am very obliged to you for bringing us together, Stamford.
3: That is quite all right. Get in, and I will drop you back at your hotel.
2: We met the next day, as Sherlock had arranged, and inspected the rooms at number 221B Baker Street. So desirable in every way were the apartments, and so moderate did the terms seem when divided between us, that the bargain was concluded upon the spot. That very evening I moved my things round from the hotel, and on the following morning Sherlock Holmes followed me with several boxes. I inquired where he had been staying, but he shrugged the question away. We spent the better part of two days setting the rooms to our liking. Holmes was not a difficult man to live with. He was quiet in his ways, and his habits were regular. He was often gone before I rose in the morning. He spent much of the day in research at various departments in the city, and had access to areas I would not have thought. He would also disappear into the lower portion of the city. Nothing could exceed his energy when he had a problem to solve, but now and again a reaction would seize him, and he would hardly utter a word. His vacant, glassy expression did have my medical mind considering that he might be addicted to some form of narcotic, but the examination of his whole life made such a notion implausible to me. My interest in the man only grew over time. His very person and appearance were such as to strike the attention of the most casual observer. In height, he was rather over six feet, lean and human although i could not pin down the planet of origin his eyes were sharp and piercing and he had an expression of alertness and decision when he was home he would often dress extremely casually yet when out he would dress rather elegantly with boots and a dark set of clothes that would allow movement yet the most unusual thing of all was the cylinder that he hung from his belt i am sure it is a lightsaber having seen a Jedi at the front while I had been deployed. He couldn't be a Jedi, though. He would have been at the temple or on missions for the Order, not looking for lodgings and following his own studies. He was not studying medicine. He had specified himself in reply to the question, confirming Stanford's opinion on that point. Neither was he following any courses which would get him a degree or other recognized certificate that would grant him entrance to the learned world yet his zeal for certain studies was remarkable. His range of knowledge was impressive. Surely no one would work so hard to attain it without a career or objective in mind, but at this point the answer eludes me. He also has vast gaps in what I consider to be common knowledge, to which he replied that it served him no practical use." For the first week, no one called, and I was beginning to think he was as friendless as I was. I was to learn that he had a great many acquaintances. But I remember the day as I rose earlier than usual. I had been very curious as to what Holmes did, but it never seemed to be the right time to ask him. He had not finished breakfast, and as I waited for mine, I read through an article on observation. It was smartly written, but impossible in terms of practical use. To this end, I said so. Holmes did not look up, but merely opened his desk and removed from it my datapad. Holmes, I was looking for that!
0: Knowledge of literature, nil. Knowledge of philosophy, nil. Knowledge of astronomy, nil. Knowledge of politics, feeble. Knowledge of botany, variable. Well up in Cripberry, drugs and poisons generally, knows nothing of practical gardening. Gardening? Really, Watson?
2: I deleted that file.
0: Not well enough. Please continue the list if you will, my good doctor.
2: (sighs) Knowledge of geology. Practical, but limited. Tells at a glance different soils from each other. After walks has shown me splashes upon his trousers and told me by their color and consistency in what part of Coruscant he had received them. Knowledge of chemistry. Profound. Knowledge of anatomy. Accurate, but unsystematic. Knowledge of sensational literature, immense. He appears to know every detail of every horror perpetrated in the last century. Plays the strings well. Is an expert in Corellian boxing, kickboxing, and dueling. Has a good practical knowledge of Coruscant Law. I thought he would be angry, but he was happily bemused.
0: And what did your rather accurate and detailed list allow you to deduce?
2: Whatever it is you do must require such specialized knowledge in some areas, but such large gaps in others, that I cannot think of any kind of employment or study which your expertise would fit. I assume, therefore, that, whatever it is, you are able to set the parameters yourself. I could not reach any firm conclusion, which is why I deleted that list.
0: I have a turn for both observation and deduction. It is the very essence of my skills that I require for employment, and that article you read this morning that so riled your scientific sensibilities. I wrote that myself. The theories which I have expressed there are, for me, very practical. How? I have a trade of my own. I am the only one in the galaxy. I'm a consulting detective. Here on Coruscant, we have a lot of different government, military, law enforcement, and private individuals. When they are at a loss, they come to me and I do what I can to set their paths straight. They give me the evidence, and I use the skills that I possess to see what they may have missed.
2: I still find it hard to believe the topic of the article you wrote, Holmes.
0: You appeared surprised when I asked you in our first meeting that you had come from either Garania or Jakku. No
2: doubt that you were told. Sherlock shook his head slowly.
0: No. I knew you came from one of those two planets. My train of reasoning ran along these lines. Before me was an upstanding individual, one who knew their way around medicine. A nurse, perhaps. However, and on this point there was some speculation, but I was sure of my reasoning. You were friends with Stanford. The guess was that it was from your training days. He wasn't training to be a nurse. So doctor then. There is an upright stance about you and the feeling that you are used to people doing what you tell them to do. More so than regular medical hierarchy. The military. So an army doctor then. You have come from a desert world, as your skin shows the wear from the heat. Your eyes, and somewhat haggard appearance, suggest hardship, and the slight grimace when I shook your hand said you had been wounded. Tatooine's twin sons are unique in their intensity, and your skin does not suggest that. Also, you have been wounded in action. As you do not seem the brawling type, suggests either Garania or Jakku, as engagements have taken place on both of these worlds in the time frame from which we were working. Simple, really.
2: I am at a loss. "'And you do this constantly?' "'In a way, I now understood why he had so few friends. "'The speed his mind must be working at. "'It made me feel somewhat inferior, and if he saw that in others. "'So many of our social interactions are based on discussion and learning about each other. "'If he knew so much from a brief meeting, "'then it would interfere with that most common of social connections.' It would make a fascinating study, but for all his brilliance, in that moment, I pitied him. Luckily, at that moment, a situation developed that would change me forever. I wonder what that man is looking for, I asked, and pointed to a stalwart, plainly dressed individual who was walking down the street intently looking at numbers. He carried a small blue data pad in his hand.
0: The retired sergeant of Marines.
2: You can't know that. The man saw our door and made his way there. A loud knock followed, and shortly, our housekeeper, a Hudson-class administration droid designated MR5, led the man in. Gentlemen to see you, Mr. Holmes. Thank you, Mrs. Hudson. The man stepped in briskly and nodded a greeting to me before looking at Holmes.
1: Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Holmes.
2: Holmes said not a word, but snapped his hand out for the datapad and took it when it was passed to him. He tore into the information it possessed, and I had the feeling that he had already forgotten about the man who delivered it. May I ask,
1: what is your trade? Yes, ma'am. Commissionaire. Uniform away for repairs, but before that I was a sergeant. Royal Marines Light Infantry in a Naboo unit. Loved the military. Couldn't stay, though, after I took a blaster shot to the knee.
2: Thank you, Sergeant. I instinctively saluted a dismissal, the same as I had done countless times in my army days. To my surprise, he smiled warmly and returned my salute before leaving. I turned back to Holmes, who held the datapad next to his face with a big, wide grin. A case?
0: Perhaps. A consultation, at any rate. It may turn into a case. A murder was committed last night, and the police are sure that there was no robbery, nor is there any evidence as to how the individual met their death. They have requested my presence. The police? Yes, Watson, and I would consider your medical experience invaluable if you are willing to accompany me. I am sure the Republic Coroner is a worthy individual, but I would like a second opinion from someone not on the police payroll.
2: Of course. Anything I can do to help.
0: Let us get a speeder and be on our way.
2: Sherlock grabbed his coat and walked outside. Mrs. Hudson, for her part, summoned the speeder, which arrived in a few minutes. I have come to realize that for all Holmes' brilliance, there are certain peculiarities, one of which is he does not always summon the cabs he himself needs. This has infuriated me on more than one occasion as we stood waiting for an unsummoned cab. Once Holmes has moved his mind to something, he stops considering many things around him. Items like transportation. The cab was one of the newer models. Its lines were sleek and it was comfortable. The airlines of Coruscant are one of the most populous of the galaxy and I welcomed a droid pilot, though its cheery personality seemed out of place considering our destination. He handed me the datapad to look over.
0: Gregson is the smartest of the sector officers. He and Lestrade are the pick of a bad lot. They are both quick and energetic as hounds, but all too conventional. Shockingly so. They have their blades in each other too. They are as jealous as a pair of twilight dancers. Oh, There will be some fun if they are both on the scent of this one.
2: You do not seem overly concerned about this matter at hand.
0: No data yet. It is a great mistake to jump to conclusions without having all the facts. You can bias your judgement.
2: He shifted topics so suddenly that it was almost jarring.
0: You really were not able to see that that man was a Sergeant of Marines.
2: Not at all. How did you know?
0: It was easier to know it than to explain why I know it. If you are asked to prove a medical fact, you may find some difficulty, and yet you are quite sure of the fact. He had a military walk to him, as well as side whiskers to regulation length, He walked with some importance, steady, sure of himself, respectable, and middle-aged. He had the look of a being in the service for a while, long enough to have received some form of promotion. Sergeant was not unreasonable. He also had a tattoo of the Royal House of Naboo on the back of his hand.
2: That is... amazing, Holmes.
0: Commonplace if you know how to look.
2: I could tell, however, that he was pleased by the flattery, and sincere it truly was. The speeder made its way down to one of the lower levels. The light here was darker, and a thin fog hung in the air, given off by the taxing of the air purifiers.
0: Driver, stop!
2: The speeder pulled up, and Holmes opened the door and got out without a second thought. Thank
0: you for
4: taking Corazon Taxi Transportation Services, where your destination is
2: our roadmap! The speeder pulled away. I'm starting to dislike these droid drivers. They are altogether too happy. I realized that Holmes was not paying the slightest bit of attention to my insightful musings on the emotional state of droid taxi drivers. Number three, Lauriston Gardens, wore an ill-omened and miserable look. It was one of four buildings which stood back some little way from the street, almost like someone at a party who had not been invited. Two appeared occupied, and not by individuals who were in any way well off, and two were empty. The latter looked out with three tiers of vacant, melancholy windows, which were blank and dreary, much like the rest of the level. Although there was a great deal of metal in the construction of the level, the ground itself was muddy. I had imagined that Holmes would have at once hurried into the house and plunged into the mystery— Instead, he was paying the muddy pathway and alley a great deal of attention, walking back and forth and gazing intently when something caught his eye, even kneeling down to get a closer inspection. He turned to me and smiled. I was unable to see how my companion could hope to learn anything from it, but I was sure that he had found an answer to one of his questions. Approaching the house, I could see four police speeders with their lights flashing. About eight police enforcement droids were on guard, and a handful of humanoids. We were met at the door by a tall, white-faced Deveronian with a datapad in hand.
5: Oh, jolly Good. It is indeed kind of you to come, Mr. Holmes. I have everything left untouched.
0: Except that! No doubt if a herd of banters had passed through, there could not be a greater mess. However... You have drawn your own conclusions, Gregson, before you permitted this? Sorry, Holmes.
5: I have had so much to do inside the residence that my colleague, Lestrade, was relied upon to look after this.
0: You came by speeder? Did you park on the west side at any time? No, sir. Nor Lestrade? No, sir.
2: Sherlock nodded as if this answered an important point he was thinking about.
0: Then let us go and look at the room. Oh, this is Dr. Watson. Army retired. Knows her stuff. I asked her to come along to give her a professional opinion. Ah, Yes.
5: Uh, pleasure to meet you, Dr. Watson. I think we've done all that can be done here. It is an unusual case, though, and I knew your taste for such things, Holmes. But a medical professional's point of view was not always unwelcomed.
2: A short passage, bare-planked and dusty, led to the kitchen and offices. Two doors opened out of it, to the left and to the right. One of these had obviously been closed for many weeks. The other belonged to the dining room, which was where the crime had been committed. Holmes walked straight in. I was not unfamiliar to death, but found myself pausing. Upon reflection, I think my feelings were that in war it is unavoidable, and everyone knows the risks, whereas here, for whatever reason, an individual has met their end through criminal means. It did not appear that Holmes was making a distinction. It was a large square room, and it looked larger due to the absence of any furniture. The colors of the wall were vulgar, and it was blotched with mildew in places. Opposite the door was a showy heating unit. Its materials were fake, and it tried to give the room an elegance it did not deserve. On one corner of the unit was a broken glow-rod. The solitary window was so dirty the light was hazy and uncertain, giving a dull gray tinge to everything, which intensified with the thick layer of dust coating the whole apartment. My attention was centered upon the single, grim, motionless figure which lay stretched upon the boards, his vacant sightless eyes staring up at the discolored ceiling. It was that of a human male, about mid-forties, broad-shouldered with crisp curling black hair. His attire was such that it stood out, being of far higher quality than one would expect from the rest of the building. His hands were clenched, and his arms were wide. His face was frozen in horror, and it seemed to me also hatred. The overall contortion of the body in death gave the individual a monstrous appearance. Up until that point, Death had never appeared to me in quite as fearsome a visage as it did in that dark and unwanted apartment. Lestrade, lean and with sharp eyes, was standing in the room with a police droid. Sherlock knelt down next to the corpse. The officer nodded a greeting as we entered. Thank you for coming. Who is this?
5: Lestrade. This be Dr. Watson.
2: Gregson appeared happy to know something that Lestrade did not, Lestrade looked a little confused and appeared ready to challenge my presence, but Sherlock did not give her the chance.
0: You sure there is no wound?
2: He pointed enthusiastically to numerous splashes of blood which lay
6: around the room. Of that I am positive, sir.
0: Then this blood belongs to a second individual. Presumably the murderer. If murder has indeed been committed. Has the body been moved? Has the coroner been yet?
6: Only by the initial officer to check if he was alive, and no more than was necessary for the purpose of our examination. His relative position in all aspects is very similar to how he was. And yes, sir, he has. We were awaiting your examination before releasing the body to him. A recorder droid has been in and taken all relevant information and evidence.
0: DROID.
6: To
2: this, Holmes nodded, and began to examine the body closely. Feeling, pressing, unbuttoning, smelling. The speed at which he conducted this examination was impressive, and yet he did not short on precision. He stood up and looked at me, before motioning towards the deceased.
0: What do you make of it, Watson?
2: I stood there a moment. I realized I had been invited to give Holmes a medical opinion, but... Now that all eyes were upon me, I felt an almost crippling apprehension. I was not used to being the center of attention. Holmes merely smiled while the officers looked to me to do something. My training was not forensic, but Holmes knew that, so he must have been looking for more straightforward medical observations. That is what I tried to give him. Male, mid-forties. Middle size, broad-shouldered, well-dressed, skin slightly unhealthy, perhaps a sign of a high alcohol intake, body curiously twisted, legs interlocked, almost violently so. Holmes, smell his lips. Holmes leant in. Holmes, I said, as a sudden realization hit me during my examination. He smiled.
0: Well done, Watson. There is nothing more to be learned here. You can take him to the mortuary now.
2: Gregson had the droids bring in a stretcher, and the stranger was lifted and carried out. As they left, Holmes turned to me and flicked a small object towards me. I only just caught it, and upon examination, saw that it was a gold ring.
0: What do you make of that, Watson?
2: The gold ring was small well-worn, and there was a slight nick on the inside that may have caused a little discomfort to wear. It is a wedding band. It is used, and items similar, by many cultures. A sentimental symbol of marriage." Lestrade shook her head.
6: "'There has been a woman here. It's a woman's ring, I am sure of it. That complicates matters, and they were complicated enough before.'
0: You're sure it doesn't simplify them? What did you find in his pockets?
5: Ah, yes, we have it all here. A gold timepiece, gold chain, gold ring, not a wedding band. Gold pin with gems, a seback leather hard case with some cards of good quality. No credit stick, but some loose money to the extent of, say, what, 500 credits or so. A datapad with the name Jongus Stengerson, Two letters, one addressed to EJ Drebber, and one addressed to Joma Stengerson. And what address? Transport Exchange Strand, to be left till called for. They are both from the Guyon Starship Company and refer to the departure of the ships from Coruscant. It is clear that this unfortunate man was about to return to Corellia.
2: Have you made any inquiries as to this man Stangerson?
5: I did it once, Mum. I put out an all-points bulletin to all major networks and I sent out one of my men to the exchange, but he has not in- reported in yet. Um, I've also sent a request to Corellia.
0: How did you word your inquiries?
5: We simply detailed the circumstances and said that we would be glad of any
0: information that could help us. You did not ask for particulars on any point which appeared to you to be crucial? I asked about Stengerson. Nothing else? Is there no circumstance on which this whole case appears to hinge? We will have to contact them again.
2: To this, Gregson seemed to bristle. Lestrade, who had been largely quiet
6: until now, interrupted the proceedings. I did make a discovery of the highest importance and one which would have been overlooked had i not made a careful examination of the walls
2: to this lestrade seemed to beam and i could understand what holmes meant about the competitive nature between the two police officers she motioned for us to follow and entered the room and held up a glow rod in this particular corner of the room A large part of the wallpaper had peeled away, leaving a yellow square of coarse plastering. There was a single word scrawled in blood-red letters, R-A-C-H-E.
6: This was overlooked because it was in the darkest corner of the room and no one thought of looking there. The murderer has written it in their own blood. See the smear here where it has trickled down the wall? That disposes the idea of suicide, anyhow. Why here? The glow rod would have been lit at the time, and this area would have been awash in light. I believe they were putting Rachel on the wall. There definitely was a woman involved.
2: Holmes walked around the room again, slowly and methodically, pausing and kneeling, once laying face down on the floor, He took some ash and poured a small amount into a bag. The whole time he moved it was like the rest of us no longer existed. We were out of his memory and his entire mind was given to the problem at hand. I have come to believe that the police do not fully understand that the smallest of Holmes' actions are all directed towards some definite and practical end.
0: You will let me know how your investigations progress? In the meantime, I would like to speak to the constable who found the body. Can you give me his name and address? Oh, that would be Rance. He's off
5: duty now. You'll find him at 46 De Cork in the Kendignton Park Gate District.
2: Holmes took note of the address, and then squeezed my arm.
0: Come along, Doctor. We shall go look this fellow up. I will tell you one thing, though, detectives. There has been murder done, and the murderer was a man. He was more than six feet high, was in the prime of his life, wore coarse, square-toed boots, and smoked a cigar. He came here with the victim in a private speeder. The heat of his repulses dried out a patch of mud in the lane. The fingernails in the right hand were long. These were just a few indications, but they may assist you. Good day, detectives.
2: As we moved outside, Gregson ran down to follow us.
0: But if this
5: man was murdered, how? Ha! Watson!
2: It took me a moment to realize that Holmes was giving me a crucial piece of information to deliver. To show my worth to the detectives, or to jab them. Possibly both, I am not sure. It was poison. With that, we left the premises and walked down the street. Holmes walked fast, his pace matching his mental activity. There is one thing, Holmes. Raka is Cantonican for revenge. He stopped and looked at me and after a few moments a big broad grin formed upon his face and he laughed a joyful and deep laugh that I had not yet heard him do. He slapped my shoulder with the grin still on his face and I could not help but feel proud as if my medical professor had given me praise and I hurried to catch up with him. It was early in the morning by the time we left Lauriston Gardens. We sat quietly in the speeder as it made its way across the district. Holmes stared into the distance lost in thought. So it came as a surprise when he broke his silence.
0: There is nothing like first-hand evidence. I think my mind is made up now on elements of the case.
2: Are you that sure?
0: The very first thing I observed on arriving there was the dry patch made by the speeder. Now, up until last night there had been no rain for a week. That dry patch had to happen after the last rainfall which was during the night. I have Gregson's word that the speeder was gone before morning and that it was not one of theirs. It was used to bring the two individuals to the house.
2: That seems reasonable. So, what about the height of the individual?
0: The height of many beings can often be told by the length of their stride. It is a simple calculation. We had a solid couple of locations both outside in the mud and inside in the dust to see his steps. Also, most beings prefer to write about the level of their eyes. The writing on the wall...
2: ...was about six feet.
0: Precisely.
2: The manner of the writing, though... Ah,
0: there! We do have an interesting question to answer. I observed that the wall covering was slightly scratched, which would not have been the case if the being's nail had been trimmed. I had picked up some ash from the floor. It was a cigar which eliminates the mask-wearing species like the gand. They have the claws but not the height and they could not smoke outside their location due to the breathers they wear. They are not the only ones, however.
2: The more one thinks of it, the more mysterious it becomes. How came these two men, if they were two men, into an empty house? What became of the driver of the speeder that drove them? How could one compel or trick another to take poison? Where did the blood come from? What was the objective of the murder, since robbery had no part in it? How came the wedding band there? Above all, why should the second being write Rache before decamping? If it was revenge, the dead would presumably know that before he died. So who was he telling?
0: Hmm. You sum up the difficulties of the situation accurately and well. There is much that is still obscure, though I have made up my mind on the main facts. They came in the same speeder, and they walked inside together. Inside, one stood still while the other paced. You could see it in the dust. We have a good working basis on which to start.
2: The conversation had occurred while our speeder had been threading its way through a long succession of dingy streets and dreary byways that made up some of the lower levels of Coruscant. In the dingiest and dreariest of them, the speeder came to a stop. Our driver, an old human, pointed.
4: That's all the caught in there. You'll find me here when you come back.
2: There was a narrow slit in the line of dead colored buildings, and the court was not an attractive locality. The narrow passage led us into a quadrangle lined by sordid dwellings. We picked our way among groups of dirty children from a hundred worlds, and after what felt like an age, arrived at number forty-six. Outside was a small metal slip with the name Rance engraved upon it. Holmes knocked soundly upon the metal door, a couple of minutes later, the door opened, and a Corin stood before us, dressed in a robe.
5: Hmm. Mr. Holmes.
0: Rance, is it?
2: To this, the Corin nodded, and it was obvious by the confusion on his tentacled face, he didn't know why we were there.
0: We have come from Lawrence and Gardens. I've just finished my examination and looking into the incident. Oh, this is my colleague, Dr. Watson. Doctor,
5: Mr. Holmes, come in, come in.
2: He stepped out of the way and Holmes quickly entered. His eyes darted around the room. I wasn't sure if he was looking for something specific or if this was his natural instinct whenever he entered a new area.
0: I gave my report at the station. I'm sure you did, but I would like to hear it from you.
2: Rance poured himself a drink of some strong liquor and offered a glass to us. Holmes focused on his line of inquiry and ignored him. I smiled and shook my head. He sat down on an old worn sofa and seemed to take a few moments to collect his thoughts.
5: <sighs> Alright, uh, let me think. My patrol was from ten at night to six in the morning. At around eleven there was a fight at the White Hart pub, but barring that, always quite enough on my beat. So about one it started to rain and that's about the time i ran into Murcher, a human officer on a different beat we crossed paths at rietta street then maybe around two or a little after that i thought i'd look around brixton road it was dirty lonely not a soul did i meet all the way down there other than a speeder or two but i noticed a light on inside the house now those two houses in Loreston Gardens were empty on account of the owner not doing proper upkeep. A Marisian died in his sleep when the methane scrubbers failed. Owner was arrested for negligence causing death See, So I know they were not rented. I suspected something was wrong. But thought it was some homeless looking for a place to sleep. When I got
0: to the door... You stopped and then walked back to the garden gate. What did you do that for?
2: Rance gave a jump and his tentacles twitched for a few moments, and he stared at Holmes with amazement in his eyes.
5: Well, that's true. See, I was alone and thought it safer if I could get back up. I walked back to the gate and looked to see if I could see Murcher, as he's a solid officer, uh, and would obviously aid me, but there was no sign of him. There was no one on the street? No, sir. I decided to take my chances and not wait. I went back in and pushed the door open. All was quiet inside. I went into the room and there was a glow rod. And laying there, I I saw.
2: It's all right. We know what you saw.
0: You walked around the room several times and knelt beside the body. You then walked through and tried the kitchen door. That was a clever thing to check.
2: Rance sat there looking intently at Holmes for several long seconds.
5: Lestrade said you would know a good deal about the case and more than you should. Sorcery? Gregson warned me.
0: Have no fear, Rance. I am one of the hounds and not the wolf. What did you do next?
5: Well, I went back to the gate and then, as there was something to report, I called it in. Merchant and two of more of my colleagues arrived soon after. Was the street empty? Well... It was as far as anybody that could be in any good goes.
2: What do you mean? To this, Rance grinned.
5: I've seen many a drunk in my time, but never anyone as drunk as this individual. He was at the gate when I came out, he could hardly walk. He was one of the most uncommon drunks. He would have found himself in a cell if we hadn't been so caught up with the murder. His face, his dress, anything, man. Uh, He had a long coat, his face was covered, he was quite tall. uh, He spoke, but I couldn't make it out, uh, and I don't think he was from around here.
0: Did he leave in a speeder?
5: No, sir, he didn't.
2: Holmes sat for close to a minute. He took a half-sovereign from his coat and placed it on the table. Half a week's salary for a beat cop or private in the Republic Army... Finally, he stood.
0: Thank you, Rance.
2: And with that, he was gone back into the street and setting a brisk pace back to the speeder.
0: Of all the incomparable good luck and to have it snatched away by incompetence!
2: You think this our man? Holmes held up a hand. You know this to be our man. But why would he return to the house after leaving it? That is not the way of criminals, is it?
0: The ring! The ring! That was why he came back. We can bait him with the ring. Nothing more to be done right now. Do you like concerts, Doctor?
2: And with that, we entered our speeder, and Holmes gave the address for a rather well-to-do concert hall. The case was temporarily forgotten. Looking down, I could see Holmes already tapping the music out with his fingers. I tried to sleep, but I kept seeing the features of the murdered man. So sinister was the impression that face left me, it inspired gratitude that he was gone. If ever humanoid features bespoke vice and malignant intent, it was those of Drebber. Holmes was out very late, and Mrs. Hudson had dinner on the table just before he arrived. I have come to believe that Holmes is not altogether sure how food arrives at his table. He sat and ate quietly before turning to me.
0: I have put a bulletin across the network in your name. I hope that does not cause you any concern. If I use my own, someone might get suspicious.
2: What did you say?
0: That a small gold band was found on Brixton Road and that the rightful owner should come here and claim it.
2: But what if someone does? I have no ring. To this, Holmes reached into a pocket and put a ring on the table. I took it, and it was indeed reasonably close to the original. Do you think someone will come? It seems to me dangerous for him to do so.
0: If luck is on our side, the killer himself. But the universe isn't that kind. No. If someone does, it will be an accomplice. The band, if I am right, is vital to him. But if he feels he lost it outside, then there is little reason to feel this is a trap. But it doesn't hurt to be prudent. Do you have a weapon, my good doctor?
2: Yes, I have my service blaster.
0: It's best if you clean and load it. He may not fear a trap, but he is still desperate, and with desperation comes the creation of stupid decisions. Better to be prepared just in case, Watson.
2: And then we waited. For quite some time, and I was starting to give up hope when there came a sharp knock on the door. "'Mrs. Hudson came in and informed us "'that a visitor had arrived inquiring about the ring. "'Holmes, for his part, said send him up, "'and we were both surprised "'when Mrs. Hudson brought up a very old and wrinkled chiss. "'Her blue skin was pale "'and she shielded her eyes slightly from the light. "'Her fingers were shaking and nervous. "'Holmes was difficult to read. "'This was not the visitor he was
6: expecting.' Good evening, sirs. I came about a gold band you had found in the Brixton Road area. It belongs to my girl. She was married within this last year, and her husband works on a Trade Federation merchant vessel. She has been most distraught. Is that your ring? Yes, sir. It is. There is a faint cut on the inside of the
2: band. I picked it up, and sure enough, there was indeed a small cut on the inside of the band. I looked up and saw Holmes make a subtle gesture to me. Well then, I am happy to return it to you. I handed it over to her, and with many blessings of gratitude, she put the ring in a pocket and shuffled outside. No sooner had she left the room and the door slid shut than Holmes leapt to his feet and hurried to the window. I expected him to be watching the old Chiss woman, but when I got there I saw a common street urchin of which there are many on Coruscant. He signaled back to Holmes and then started to follow the old woman at a very discreet distance and in a very professional manner. Who was that boy?
0: One of my Baker Street Irregulars. Much like droids, I can go where I cannot. No one pays any attention to droids. Or poverty. Now, what do you make of that incident, my friend?
2: Not who we were expecting. An accomplice?
0: More than likely. He is desperate, but he is clever.
2: You're sure it was connected?
0: Oh yes, I made the same mark on that forgery as I saw in the original. She was very specific about that mark. On that point, there is no doubt.
2: As there was little more we could do at that time, we waited. It was around five hours later when one of the children was led inside. He was a Gungan. I had never seen one until now, but had come across the race in the course of my studies.
0: Higgins, my boy, what have you to report? Well, you saw a
4: right to be suspicious. I followed her, but not too close she saw was all grown for about one kilometer until she saw entered an alley that was empty well except for me sir by the time she exited she saw was upright and uh, 20 years younger by her gate she saw hailed the speeder and i slipped on the back the way you do mr holmes she saw wanted an address in hounds court so we saw headed over to Duncan way i saw made sure to get off a little early. When the speeder stopped, no one was eaten. The troy driver was most surprised I saw could hear it. And you're sure she didn't exit earlier? She must have. But if you're asking me, did we stop? Did she exit legitimately at her stop? The answer is no. Tessa was a couple of places where we were low and slow, and what of them was where Shisa must have exited. An old woman? No old about it, Doctor Miss. I'd stake my reputation on it. Me and the gang could have done a runner like Shisa did, but that woman had some athletic skill. She wasn't that old. The address? A printer. Legitimate by the looks of it. Nothing at all to do with her. Ha! You have done excellent work,
0: Higgins.
2: But at great risk. I must protest, Holmes. No matter this child's skill, he is still a child. Holmes seemed to ponder this for a few seconds, and his response was pragmatic, but not altogether reassuring.
0: Always the compassionate one is the good doctor. But she is right, Higgins. You're no good to me dead. Here, be off with you. Right you are, Mr. Holmes, Miss Doctor.
2: And with that, he took the credits offered and made his escape from our presence. Holmes was getting restless. I had initially thought that he was a creature of habit, and would be upset when that habit was interfered with. But, in reality, he was a creature of stimulation. He requires it like food. His mind has been absorbed by the case, but we are waiting for further development, or some of the inquiries to come back to us. So for the last few days we waited. waiting. And then, we had two events on the same morning. The first was a communication from Gregson. The computer bleeped its arrival, and Holmes asked me to read it. Response from Corellia. Both Drebber and Strangerson are known to authorities. No convictions, suspected of smuggling, file attached. Holmes made a gentle yet frustrated gesture. I opened the file and skimmed through it. There was little to go on. The evidence was good, but circumstantial, and it appeared the authorities were waiting to make their case more robust. The file only covered a period of about six years. Later that day, we had a visit from Lestrade.
6: She came in and flopped down into a chair.
0: When was he killed?
6: This morning, around 6am at his hotel. How did you know?
0: Well, you have been following that one line of thought like a rancor after her prey. For you to be this disheveled and downtrodden of spirit can only mean your inquiry is dead. If he was still alive, then you would be frustrated, but sure of his capture.
2: To this, Lestrade only nodded. Stangerson, too. The
6: plot thickens. It was quite thick enough before. I have just come from his room. I was the first to discover what had occurred.
0: We have been considering various views on this matter. But would you mind letting us know what you have seen and done?
6: I freely confess that I was of the opinion that Strangerson was concerned in the death of Drebber. This fresh development proves me to be completely mistaken.
2: Holmes stood and paced slowly as he listened. He stopped and raised his hand.
0: Do not be too hard on yourself, Lestrade. Your reasoning, although in the end wrong, was not foolish. Please, continue.
2: To
6: this, Lestrade's mood appeared to improve slightly. I have been single-minded in my pursuit. I wanted to know what Strangerson had been doing between 8.30 and the time the murder took place. I had officers search and inquire at lodging, houses, and hotels of ill repute. I assumed, if he was not the murderer, that if they became separated, that the natural course of action would be to put up somewhere close for the night, and then to wait about a transit hub the next morning to meet up. If he was involved in the murder, then he might follow a similar course to try and not bring attention to himself.
0: They would likely have agreed on some meeting place beforehand. I agree.
6: Finally, an officer contacted us saying he thought he saw someone meeting the description entering Halliday's Hotel. Not a very nice place at all. Naturally, I expected this to be not true. It's easy to get a positive ID wrong. When we entered and showed the manager an image, they confirmed that it was indeed Stangerson staying in one of the upstairs rooms. Also that he had mentioned he was awaiting someone. We went to the room and I announced myself. When there was no reply, I instructed the manager to open the door. There was the body of a man on the floor. He had been dead for maybe a day. There was a single deep stab wound to the left side of his chest which was slightly cauterized on the edges. That sounds like a vibroblade. I agree with Dr. Watson. We are waiting on the coroner's report, but I believe it was a long blade that punctured the lung. On the wall, written in blood, was the word Rache.
2: I am surprised no one heard anything. It is not the easiest thing to do especially if he did not wish to be stabbed.
6: He spent some time there as well. We found blood in the wash basin when he cleaned himself up. Indeed, he was seen leaving via the back fire escape ladder, but so sure and natural did he appear that witnesses only noticed that he was quite tall and thought nothing more of it.
0: Did you find anything in the room?
6: He had Drubber's cred stick in his pocket, but it appears he handled the money, so this is not something that stood out. There are about 12,000 credits in total in the room, so whatever the motive, robbery is not one of them. There were no papers or memoranda in the murdered man's pocket, except a single printed-out message dated from Cantonica about a month ago. J.H. is on Coruscant. There is no name appended to this message.
0: J.H. A new piece to the riddle. Knowing his name is a small thing. Finding him may prove a little more difficult.
6: I would rather not wait for another murder.
0: I do not think there will be another, Lestrade. Our two corpses have been entangled together for some time. They certainly had associates, but they, for all intents and purposes, were the center of it all. No, unless I am very much mistaken, our assassin is finished in the task he set out to do.
2: Cantonica is a large desert world under the control of the banking clan. This otherwise unremarkable rock has a flood of credits going through it. The place is paradise for some, but the sheer greed that emanates from the place is something I could never truly stomach. I expected Holmes to be a difficult traveling companion, but in the end, he was rather pleasant. He smoked his pipe when he could, and asked me a mix of medical questions and those about my military career. Although we could do little on the medium transport that we had booked passage on, it seemed to Holmes that we were moving forward. The transport docked in an industrial port some way outside of what one could call civilized society. An old administration droid and two security droids met us as we disembarked.
1: I didn't, chips, and reason for visit.
0: Murder.
2: My friend has a peculiar sense of humor. We are here for business, looking to hire some local manufacturing firms. Holmes understands intrigue, but at the same time, he can be brutally honest, and what I can only say is at the most inopportune times. The droid looked at us for a lot longer than I thought was normal, and I was sure it was going to detain us.
1: Confirmed. clearance granted. Please do not engage in the act of murder. Doing so will lead to incarceration and not aid in your attempt to find local firms to manufacture your goods.
2: I didn't think anyone would beat Holmes for misunderstanding a social cue. But this droid might well have given him a run for his money. We walked away from the droids, and when I felt we were far enough away, I inquired, Why are we here, Holmes?
0: Murder, my dear Watson. While it is true that crimes were committed at home, it all originated here. I am sure there was one more murder, old, dark, and seeded the beginnings of rage that could only be extinguished by revenge.
2: But if the murder you seek is as old as you say, then how do we even begin to look for it?
0: Oh come on, think Watson!
2: The message… Someone knew our man was on Coruscant and with ill intent. They tried to warn the others. For them to do so means they must know at least a part of the events. To this, Holmes merely smiled. And you think they are a local? and not expecting trouble.
0: And why should they? They did their part, and although they must know something, they are not considered involved in the key affair.
2: For a moment, I paused. You are sure they are alive. Our killer has been very effective at eliminating all he sought to. So, if this individual is alive, they are not a target.
0: Bravo, Watson. Yes, but quite right. Even though the individual tried to warn the others, they are not considered part of the affair directly. We do not have the data. It could have been out of their control, or they knew something but were not involved in the act. The reason themselves may be immaterial, but I feel it is very important that we find them, as I have questions. We know where the message was sent from. We should start there.
2: In the central portion of the great northern continent, there lies an arid and repulsive desert which for many years served as a barrier against the advance of civilization. It was a region of desolation and silence. Its valleys gloomy, its snow-capped mountains in the distance grim. But people will always try and make a living where there is money, and there is a great deal of money on Cantonica. For all this planet's fake civility, there really resides a barrenness, inhospitable misery. It was into this deplorable land that we were headed. Finding someone to take us was easier than I thought. The people were desperate, and for a handful of coins we found an old battered speeder and a driver willing to cross the wasteland. Holmes spoke little during the journey, and it was a few hours before a small outpost town came into view. I had seen their like before, ramshackle and made from whatever the inhabitants could find. This was a mix of prefabricated building components, possibly from an old mining endeavour, and some obvious ship parts. In the end, we paid the driver more than we had agreed upon, and he was very appreciative for the simple act. I saw one of the buildings had a ship's comm array on its roof. Holmes? That communication dish would have the range needed. Holmes set off at a brisk pace and now the game was afoot. The building used to be a mining paymaster's office. Its only occupant was a grubby-looking Twi'lek. He seemed a little concerned, and he was eyeing these newcomers to his outpost very carefully.
7: Can I
0: help you with something? A message was sent from this very office to Coruscant. If you would be so kind as to tell us who sent it.
2: The Twi'lek leaned in and sniffed at us as one would sniff at weak-old meat.
1: I am not telling you off-worlders anything. If you know what's good for you, you will leave.
2: He sat back in his seat with a sneer firmly upon his face. Sherlock just stood there calmly, looking at him.
0: It is in your best interests to help us. It
1: is in my best interest to help you?
0: You want to tell us, so we will leave.
1: I want to tell you, so you will leave. It was Kemble. Human, you'll find him
0: at the bar. Thank you. Come on, Watson.
2: Holmes turned to leave as the twilight struggled with what just occurred. I gave an apologetic shrug before hurrying after Holmes. The bar, if you could call it that was a small, unventilated dwelling made out of any odd piece of material that they could find. The clientele was no different. The broken, dejected miners sat staring at their drinks. I was considering all the deduction and observation skills Holmes would now put into play in this difficult locale.
0: Which one of you is Kemble?
2: He would be the one that ran. He looked up and took one glance at us, and with surprising speed for someone in their fifties, ran like a Gundark was after him. He barreled out the back door. Holmes turned and went for the front entrance as I followed Kemble out the back. The heat was forgotten, the sand was forgotten, and my old wounds were forgotten. I ran and gave chase like I have never done before. He ran out of pure fear, and I was determined to not lose my prey. I found him on the edge of town. He was on his knees. He was looking down as I approached, and I was breathing heavily. My hand gripped my blaster, and I moved forward slowly. He suddenly thrust out his arms wide.
4: Where was I running to? So have you come to finish the
7: job?
2: We are connected, but we are not who you think we are. He looked at me carefully, but he was a broken man.
4: Drebber, Stangerson, are they?
2: Dead. Yes, they are. Your telegram came too late. I could hear Holmes walking towards us.
4: Just as well. They got what they
0: deserved.
2: Holmes walked to face him and bent down on one knee.
0: Then why did you try to warn them if you feel that way?
2: Kemble's face contorted in anger, and he thumped his chest hard.
4: I was trapped by an obligation made long ago, but it's eaten at my soul all these years. Like a disease, it was killing me slowly. Believe me, the galaxy is better without those two.
2: We do believe you, but why?
4: It's not my secret to tell. What I will say is this. On the outskirts of a small town called Prophet, you'll find a morgue. Ask for the girl, if you can figure it out.
2: Holmes nodded and stood up. I put my blaster back into my belt, and we left him there. I didn't think it was possible for a town to have been more disillusioned than where we had just been, but Prophet was determined to give it a commendable attempt. What exactly this mess of rusted, ramshackle buildings was prophesying, was beyond my understanding. The girl... What do you think that means?
0: Watson, this whole case is hinged on one thing we have failed to understand. What compels a being to hunt down their prey over decades? Lestrade kept getting tangled in this hate. Yes, our man hated, but that is the smoke from the fire. There was a much stronger emotion that started all of this. Love. I fear that you are right, Watson. This emotion of love that is born upon lust. It creates lunacy. There is very little profit in it. It confuses even the clever mind. I have seen how you look at the attendant in that cafe. The chemical imbalance starting.
2: Holmes, they were very nice and they... Why are we having this conversation now?
0: The point, Watson, is that this crazy emotion that you put so much faith in led a man to misery. It led him to spend his entire life to hunt down those involved and commit murder.
2: That is true. But you're also wrong. Holmes raised an eyebrow. It also brought him unimaginable joy. A joy so complete that its loss due to those men was absolute. Yes, it brought him pain, but it also made him whole. I looked at the faded sign. morgue. It felt sad somehow, as if the sign was reflecting endings and failed dreams.
0: The dead lay still, but yet they have tales to tell.
2: So many years, Holmes. What will be here? The girl? What did he mean? Holmes shook his head.
0: There are many questions. Yours, dear Watson, are valid. A morgue, presumably a decades-old death, has set the motions of fate careening into our apartment. Well, let us see what the dead wish to give up.
2: We entered the dimly-lit building. Concrete floors which had the stains of chemicals and… residence. The smell of chemicals long familiar to me filled the air. There was a short passage that led into the main examination room. There were two long lights that only succeeded in partly illuminating the room. An old rhodian walked over. He stopped and looked at us for a few seconds.
7: You're Sherlock Holmes. I read about
0: you, the Jansen case. I am Sherlock Holmes. This is my conscience and esteemed colleague, Dr. Watson. It is a pleasure to meet you both.
7: I never would have expected one such as yourself out here. What could you possibly need in a place like this?
2: We are following leads to a case. The individual we questioned said we should come here and ask to see... ...the girl. The Rodian's eyes opened wide.
7: Do you want to see her? Her? Oh yes, the young lady in question is here still.
0: Our line of inquiry deals with a case that is decades old. Yes, sir. The young lady was delivered by security, which is usual,
7: and three gentlemen, which is not. There was an arrangement made. We were to keep her on ice. In return, this facility would receive funding ongoing. That has happened. Twice a year, there is enough funds deposited into the account to keep us open.
2: He walked over to the first cell, cell 1, and pressed a button. The door opened and a tray slid out. The temperature in the room dipped sharply. On the tray lay a naked young woman. Holmes walked over and leant in. I could tell he was taking in information. Then he stood and looked at me before he turned away. I took a breath and then stepped up to examine her. Human woman, maybe late twenties, Black hair, natural color, all her teeth... is that common?
6: No,
7: not in the lower classes.
2: Heavy bruising to the face and back, I'd say... a blow, rather than a fall. The scratch might be from a ring. Hands... she has worked for a living. Two stab wounds to the chest cursory examination, I would say two different blades and possibly assailants. What are these rough patches of skin on her arms, lower back, and thighs?
7: Saw them, did you? I am impressed by the good doctor. The official report listed the scars as Craig's disease.
2: But that doesn't leave a rough texture like this, merely a discoloration of the skin. It was then that a memory hit me. I walked over to Holmes. When I was in the Army, some of the men would get leave and occasionally come here. There were rumors of the enlisted occasionally spending the night with some of the rich girls here, those wanting some adventure, if you take my meaning. The men talked of the tattoos they had. The tattoos were in the exact places where her scars are. I think they were removed and not done too well, possibly after death, but these wounds were made in anger.
0: I fear they were removed when she was very much alive. What is the marriage custom here?
7: Among the poor, whatever they like,
0: or whatever their
7: species custom is. Among the rich that surround the cities and casinos? Arranged, Mr. Holmes. It strengthens the bonds
0: between the cartels.
2: Those three men, Drebber and Stangerson, who was the third?
0: The Keeper of the Secret.
2: Campbell. So, our killer was poor. She fell in love with someone out of her class, refused an arranged marriage, and was brutally murdered for it. It's barbaric.
0: Two blades, two assailants, Drebber and Stangerson. Campbell took part in the cover-up, but not the killing. I think this poor girl wasn't the only intended murder that night. They failed to get J.H. They may have tried or they couldn't find him. Either way, they failed. He then spent years tracking them down till he could strike. How important is reputation here? Essential to the cartels. If it became known that this woman was one of their own and was murdered to prevent a secret... It would cause a scandal. It would hurt their reputation and business. So, she
7: was one of the rich. I never noticed it was right in front of me all these
0: years. You see, but you don't observe. Now that it is over, where would J.H. go?
2: Close to the one he loves. Was he the one paying for this place? Holmes shook his head.
0: No, that was the cartel keeping a secret. They keep her like this because they can't bury her as someone of their status, but can't bring themselves to dispose of her as a commoner. Murder for them is acceptable, but this would lose face. To your first question, yes, I think J.H. has returned here. If his feelings are as strong as you think they are, Watson, he won't be far from her now.
2: So, what do we do now?
0: Do? What is there to do?
2: What is there to do? This girl was murdered because of who she loved, and the ones who ordered that killing have gone along more than happy without any form of repercussion. We have to do something. They need to pay somehow.
0: No one will touch this, Watson. These cartels are immensely powerful. He is right. It would be career suicide.
2: We give it to the authorities. The ones who called you in at the beginning of all this.
0: Gregson would never go near this. He's a social climber. But... Lestrade... She is a woman of principle. She would try and lay charges. They would never hold, but the case would be very public. As would be the death of her career.
2: Then we help her. We help her solve the cases she can't, so they can't remove her. We make sure she keeps her job and her pension. Holmes looked at me, horrified. Then, in one of those incredible mood swings, he laughed.
0: Watson, how can I refuse such passion? All right. We will do as you suggest. Ha! The game is afoot!
2: The next six months, I must admit, I was less proud of my stance. The scandal tore through the news nets like a planet fire. It hurt those involved more than I thought. On the cartel side, I had no regrets at all, watching their stock fall, contracts dry up. Reputation was currency, and they lost it all. But the toll on Lestrade was much higher than I thought. They came after her hard, and she was a laughingstock when it was over, shunned by friend and enemy alike. She became a depressed, pale version of herself, and I feared I had made a terrible mistake. Then one morning, I rose to find Lestrade in Baker Street. Holmes was handing her a folder for the case we were just finishing up, a rather dubious affair involving a missing gem of considerable fortune.
0: It's all there, Lestrade. If you act in the next three days, the gem will still be there. So, act quickly. But there is one condition. I want my name left out of this affair.
2: Lestrade looked... doubtful. Not without cause, I wager.
6: Why give this to me with that requirement? You could hand this in yourself and take the glory of its capture.
0: I have certain... contacts... That if the information comes from us, then they may be compromised. As well as a promise to a friend. No, this way, it is better for all of us.
2: Lestrade was a smart woman. I don't think she accepted this answer as the full truth, but she smiled gently and offered Holmes her hand. The first time I had ever seen her do so, and the first time I had seen Holmes take it. Thank you. To you both. After she left, Holmes looked at me with a wide grin on his face.
0: Come, Watson, we haven't a moment to lose. Coruscant doesn't sleep, and already there are mysteries awaiting us. Villains to be brought to justice and glory for the valiant. Come on!
2: Right you are, Holmes.
0: Star Wars Sherlock was a long-term project. The story was based on the writings of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and adapted by Ghost. Additional writing by Raven Insane, Emily, Shadow, Louie, and Becca. The excellent Star Wars role-playing game produced by Fantasy Flight Games was inspirational on so many levels. It is available where all good role-playing games are sold. A Study in Scarlet, starring Emily as Watson. Ghost as Holmes. Additional parts by Shadow, Louie, Becca and Raven Insane. Some of the sound has been provided by Tabletop Audio and Sirenscape. You can find us at critfail.com.